Welcome to the Glittering Bell Jar, a Harry Potter podcast. I'm Valerie. And I'm Bree. We're two writers and Harry Potter fans. In this podcast, we explore the Harry Potter series by reading it backwards. As you might recall, Harry and his friends discover the power of the Glittering Bell Jar in the Department of Mysteries as it causes objects to move backward and forward through time. We're doing the same thing each week, working backwards through a few chapters, starting with Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Ready to explore Harry Potter in a new way? Then join us in the Glittering Bell Jar. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Glittering Bell Jar. We are in season two, and we are reading The Half-Blood Prince backward. Uh, We are on episode 18. Wow, that is is exciting. Uh, And of course, with me today, I have my co-host, Valerie. Valerie, how are you? I am good. I'm good. Today has been yet another busy day. I had a number of interviews related to some other projects that I'm working on. But I am here. It is why I look so incredibly photogenic on our YouTube channel because, you know, I had to get all sort of dressed up. Not really at all. I love Zoom. (laughs) I love the low (laughs) fidelity of internet calls anymore. It's great. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Nobody cares. I'll go on like full on job interviews and people are in like t-shirts. Okay. Yep. 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 How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Just a low key day. Uh, just getting ready to record this podcast and doing my regular work. So nothing super crazy, but a good day. How's my little furry friend, Ollie, the Harry Potter-ish named cat? He is good. He's, you know, he's getting much bigger, uh, but he's still just as like playful as ever. Him and my non-Harry Potter named dog, uh, Remington, they they love to play. And uh, he is a, what is a dog cat where he loves to like cuddle and hang out and but he still does his own like cat things, like knock things over and be a jerk. So it's a perfect combination for me. <laughs> I like how his two catly attributes are knocking things over and being a jerk, which is not inaccurate. <laughs> <laughs> After last episode where we asked everyone to share with our cat, their cat people in their lives, everybody who's a cat person who's just found us is like, wait, my cat's not like that. Your cat is like that. They may also be sweet and charming and cuddly, but they all have it in them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I say this as the owner of two cats. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So as you mentioned, we're reading Harry Potter backward, Half-Blood Prince. That's where we are. We are in chapter 13. And if you are just joining us, if you are a new cat person who's subscribed, we appreciate you being here. Thank you. Welcome. Uh, go back and start at episode one. I mean, I can't make you, but I can strongly advise you, like Dumbledore strongly advises Harry to do stuff, or Snape strongly advises Malfoy to do stuff. I can't make you, but it's going to make so much more sense when in just a few minutes, I make a strange throwback to episode four. And trust me, it's coming. It'll make more sense if you've already heard episode four. So yeah, you got plenty. We're on episode 18. They're like 15 to 20 minutes. It's the perfect way. I know personally as a podcast consumer, a voracious podcast consumer, I love finding a new show that has a lot of episodes because I can go back and listen to them all. And it's like two days two days worth of time that I don't have to think about what I'm going to listen to next. Yeah, absolutely. We have tons of stuff for you to binge. So go back now. Yeah, that's just, I was just saying, go back to the beginning of season two. You can go back to the beginning of season one if you want to. There's 15 episodes there and they're like an hour long. They're like 45 minutes. You go, we got you. We got you. (laughs) And with that, let's keep adding to your queue. Uh, As usual, Bree's going to kick us off with a synopsis of chapter 13, The Secret Riddle. The chapter begins right after Katie Bell has been sent to the hospital for touching a cursed object, an object Harry believes Malfoy cursed. 
Later, in Dumbledore's office, they begin their second lesson by looking at two memories. One from Caractus Burke, who purchased the Slytherin family locket from Merope, Tom Riddle's mother, while she was pregnant and desperate for money. The second memory is of Dumbledore visiting young Tom Riddle in the orphanage to tell him he is a wizard, where we see that Riddle has been using magic and is a bully and already has a propensity for being on his own. And as usual, we are going to start with the last sentence of the chapter. That's where Bree and I begin when we're reading backward. Very astute, Harry, said Dumbledore, but the mouth organ was only ever a mouth organ. And on that enigmatic note, he waved to Harry, who understood himself to be dismissed. What's a mouth organ? <laughs> uh, I think of it like a little harmonica, like maybe a little round harmonica. I think that's what it is. Let me just check. Because I don't remember it at all. And maybe... Oh, it it's a harmonica. Oh. <laughs> I, I was thinking for some reason of like, there's like little round harmonicas. I was thinking it was like a kid, like a little kid harmonica. It's a, according to the Google, the, the, the god of all knowledge, uh, it is, it's just a harmonica. Oh, and there was a harmonica inside Tom Riddle's box of stolen things. Exactly. And I guess, exactly. okay, so Dumbledore having. Yeah, just connecting the dots. If you didn't read this chapter, when Dumbledore visits Tom Riddle at the orphanage, he has a box of things he's stolen from his victims. One of them is a mouth organ, aka harmonica. And then this is one of those little things where I had to think for a second, where it's like in the previous lesson, Marvel Logan's ring was sitting on the table by the door as Harry left the lesson, and they'd just been talking about the ring and what that meant to Voldemort. And now... Harry's expecting there to be a mouth organ. Like, oh, we were just talking about Voldemort keeping souvenirs. I was expecting the mouth organ. I thought it may have meant something. And Dumbledore says, very astute of you to notice that. But, you know, it's it's just a mouth organ. A.K.A. not a horcrux. Not a horcrux. Harry does notice a lot. Mm-hmm. Side note. Yeah. But I keep noticing that. But he notices. <laughs> yeah. So the first thing I wanted to do, as I alluded to in the lead-in, is I am going to throw it back to episode four, when we were talking about the why Dumbledore asks for Snape versus Madame Pomfrey. So they arrive back from the cave. Dumbledore is grievously ill from drinking the potion, and he asks for Snape. And Harry keeps saying, no, Madame Pomfrey, Madame Pomfrey, and Dumbledore keeps saying Snape. And in the beginning of this chapter, there's a discussion where they're talking about Katie Bell being injured, and Harry says, you know, how did it go? And Dumbledore says, Professor Snape was able to prevent the spread of the curse. And Harry says, why not Madame Pomfrey? And Dumbledore's response is, Professor Snape knows much more about the dark arts than Madame Pomfrey. That's like, that's it. If it's dark arts related, Dumbledore's going to Snape, which is pretty legitimate, actually. I think that that's really a fair answer because he does know a lot about the dark arts. Yeah, for sure. Madame Pomfrey is a healer, but that doesn't mean she can heal all things. And if she can, maybe not as quickly as somebody who knows the dark arts would. Ooh, and then the other thing was, you mentioned Caractacus Burke uh, in your intro. Uh, I really liked, and we've actually seen this before, that there's a difference in the way memories are presented from the pensive. Yes. There is memories, like actual memories that like they go into. And then there's like statements, like testimonies or evidence. And this is one of the times we see that, where instead of going into Caractacus Burke's memory, he makes a formal statement, and that is preserved in the pensive, where his little figure rises up out of the fluid and talks to them. The only other time we've seen that kind of magic in the way the pensive works is when uh, when Dumbledore finally shows Harry the prophecy, when P- Professor Trelawney's figure comes up out. And actually, I think it happens one more time in this book that I can't remember. Oh. One more memory might be presented like that. But it's like the difference, it's somehow a difference in the way the memories of that experience are preserved in the pensive. Yes, yes. Yeah, I I, I caught that too. I didn't catch it quite as, it didn't make sense to me. So I'm glad that you you detailed it out on exactly why they're different. So uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. It's almost like if Dumbledore had, if Dumbledore like had a witness statement, it shows up as that figure. 
And if Dumbledore got that someone's actual memory, it would show up as a memory. Yeah, that's that's perfect. That's a great way to describe it. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. That was actually when you were doing your intro and I was like furiously flipping pages looking to make a note. It was making the note of that because I thought that it was worth mentioning that there are these two different ways. And I am 100% sure that it does it one more time. What else did you find? So this chapter is all about Voldemort. It is. But it's not about, it's, it's actually, it's Tom Riddle. This is the young Tom Riddle. This is the fully Tom Tom Riddle. I thought it was very interesting how quickly Harry denies his empathy for Voldemort losing his parents mm-hmm. so they're discussing how Merope dies she gives she basically loses her will to live I think of it a lot though it's a terrible terrible analogy to that weird scene in episode three of Star Wars the the, the not newest new ones where Natalie Portman's character Padme like gives birth and then dies and it's like a ter- it's just a terrible scene she's like her heart is broken and so she dies and I think like actually that kind of works because we do have one other story in the vast canon of weird sci-fi fantasy that we can call upon for that working anyway Dumbledore's telling Harry all this backstory and then Harry says she wouldn't even stay alive for her own son and Dumbledore asks are you feeling sorry for Voldemort and Harry says no but she had a choice didn't she not like my mother it's interesting because it's like why can't you feel bad for Voldemort for that that is absolutely something he deserves empathy for because it sets him on the entire course of his life. Yeah, yeah, I, I saw that too and I was wondering, uh, I don't recall. In the movies, I know for sure, Harry mentions feeling sorry for Dump- for Snape. He says, I feel sorry for you, basically because he can't love and it's in one of the battles. Was that in a book? Which would mean he did grow to feel sorry for him and he realized that he should feel sorry for him. Yeah, I think that's in the final battle. I don't know if it's in the book. Well, either way, I like it. Because it does show an arc where he did, you know, it is okay to feel sorry for him. Oh, I know. I know what scene you're thinking of. It is not in Deathly Hallows. It is in Order of the Phoenix, the film version, at the end in Harry's mind when Voldemort is possessing him. And Harry is racked by the grief of losing Sirius. And he has this interaction with Voldemort's spirit inside him. And it's a voiceover from Dan Radcliffe. Yeah. Well remembered. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well remembered. The other thing I would say that I noticed from this whole interaction is the the strangeness of Tom Riddle from the day he was born and how Merope's dying wish was that he would look like his father, and he does. And I almost wonder if that's magic in its own way. Ooh, yeah. Like her final magic is to, I, I can't say transfigure, but kind of. Maybe. Like to, to, cha- to ensure that her son is not cursed with the genetics of the Gaunt family. Yeah, almost like a type of uh, glamour. If you're into like um, fairies and stuff, that's fairy magic. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> nerd alert. Uh, but. Well, I just nerd alerted over on Star Wars, so I feel <laughs> like we're equal here. Yeah, maybe. Absolutely. I, I think I, yeah, I, I did find that interesting too. So I, very, I, I think that's a, I think that's very, very possible. And definitely what the, what J.K. Rowling was trying to either intend or get us to think about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Merope had got her dying wish, mm-hmm. which is something a person with magic could do. Yeah. But yeah, going back to Tom, he's a strange baby. He didn't cry. He's an odd child. He is fascinating to me in his interaction with Dumbledore. Uh, in fact, mm-hmm. the very first kind of interaction with them is an intense amount of suspicion, right? He's like, Professor, does that mean doctor? You're taking me away, aren't you? So he trusts He trusts no one. At 11, he's not learned how to trust anyone. He has a default of mistrust. And then there's this line where he says, I don't believe you. 
said Riddle. She wants me looked at, doesn't she? Tell the truth. Yeah. He spoke these last three words with ringing force, and I cannot figure out if that's its own type of magic, but I think it is. Oh, I 100% think it is. I, I had that written down as well. It was a command, and I'm assuming you have the book up, but it even goes on to say, like, he 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 is more confused by the fact, or not confused, he's actually more um, wary of Dumbledore after he it doesn't, it doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know if it's, like, it's just a, almost like an um, imperious curse, like a small instant of like, mm-hmm. I command you to do something and like you are compelled to do what I tell you to do. It's, to me, it was fascinating. I Googled it. There's nothing there. All that came up was legitimacy. And I was like, it's not legitimacy. It's not him looking into Dumbledore's mind to see the truth. Though, though, you it could potentially be legitimacy. Because, okay, let's imagine it's not Dumbledore. We already know Dumbledore is highly competent in both legitimacy and occlumency. Let's pretend it's some small child. That child has no defenses. So when Tom says, tell the truth, and he looks into their mind, they're like Harry going to see whatever Tom's asking about and react with that. He's going to know the truth of them, even if they don't say the words, because he can, it may be legitimacy. Wow. Can you imagine at a young age, he can do legitimacy. Like that is wild. Mm -hmm. It's scary. It's scary. He's like a, he's like a super conductor of magic, way more magically powerful than any other young person at that age. Yeah, that's wild. Which frankly... Dumbledore, they discuss it later in the chapter and Dumbledore's like, well, I mean, I saw that he had this propensity for mistrust and solitude and blah, blah, blah. But like he then later in their interactions is like, but I wanted to give him a chance. You saw the most magical young person you've ever seen in your life. You saw all these negative attributes. You saw he was torturing animals and children. Red flags, I'm throwing them on the field. Like how much more of a warning do you need that this child needs to be supervised and guided, not left to see where he develops? Yeah, I mean, I think that's just Dumbledore's always wanting to see the good in people. Uh, I have it written down just that he, whenever he says he's talking to Tom Riddle and he tells him all the things that he's done and he won't allow him to do at Hogwarts, he's like, oh, you did this, this, and this. Inadvertently, I am sure. So whether he actually believed that or was just trying to get Tom Riddle to trust him, he wanted to believe that he didn't mean to use magic and to hurt people. Yeah, I, I I don't know. I, I disagree with this Dumbledore. I, I think that this, in some ways, might be the second great mistake he ever looks back on. He doesn't admit it to Harry, but I would bet that like not being a more positive guiding light in the young Tom Riddle's life is why he's so almost so heavy-handed with all of the other characters that he does insert himself into their lives. Or stay away from, like Harry, for a long time. Yeah, because he, well, that was, he admits was a mistake also, because he should have been teaching and guiding Harry the entire time. And luckily, Harry turned out good. But he did, he basically did the same thing for the two students, which was, I'm going to leave you alone and see how you turn out. And luckily, Harry turns out on the side of good, and Tom Riddle doesn't, right? But like, there's no guarantee either student will turn out the way they do. And frankly, at a boarding school, <laughs> teachers should be guiding these young people to grow because they don't have their parents around and Tom doesn't have parents anyway. Right. Yeah. The other thing to me that was crazy is like as much as he's using this legitimacy or force magic or whatever, as soon as he realizes he can't control Dumbledore, he switches into this perfectly polite, polished young man who's very respectful and demure. And like that too, to me, is really scary that he has that much emotional control at 11 years old that when he's in a somewhat uncomfortable and frightening situation of learning, I'm a wizard, I'm going off to this boarding school, this guy has magic and he's using it to defend himself against my magic. He pulls it in and like acts nice and Dumbledore's like, it's okay, you're just young, it'll be fine. (laughs) It's not fine. 
No, it's not fine. He's obviously gone through some serious trauma and uh, is a bad seed. Yeah. And, and what's interesting to me is as we were talking about it, you know, there's the, it says like he came out as a baby and as a baby he was odd. He didn't cry. And we've talked a little bit in the season about, you know, um, nature versus nurture in Tom Riddle's character. Because there's certainly nurture. We can agree that there's lots and lots of things that guide him on the path once he's a young man and once he gets to Hogwarts. But there are some things he's just born with in his nature from merope or from inbreeding or from the intense maltreatment and, and uh, maliciousness of the Gaunt family or from the lying and deceit of how he was conceived. I mean, he's conceived on a lie. Merope is poisoning, I'll say poison or, you know, drugging her husband to make him love her. That's not, uh, <laughs> that's not the kind of love that conceives good uh, in a conceptual way, not just in a baby way. Yeah. Well, and you got to think he's in the womb He's, she's starving. So, you know, like he already as a baby was malnutrition, had malnutrition. His mother was heartbroken while she was pregnant and then died of heartbreak mm-hmm. at birth. Like, you just can't tell me those things wouldn't affect him in the womb, you know? So there's a... Yeah, right. He's got physical nutritional deficits for sure. And he's got all kinds of stress hormones. I mean, she's homeless. She's got no money. She's not taking care of herself. She's emotionally unstable. So he's got hormonal stuff coursing through his mother and through him. Yeah, it's just a, I mean, we're looking at this in a very clinical muggle science oriented way, but these things all play a role in the development of Tom Riddle, which, you know, if you're not digging this, this is what this book is about. It's about (laughs) trying to make sense of Voldemort. So, uh, sorry, check back next episode, I guess. (laughs) Probably next season because yeah <laughs> it's all yeah. about Tom yeah. Riddle. I was just looking actually if the cave if the cave made sense in any way because we discussed that in chapter I don't know five six or seven I can't remember at this point that Dumbledore's lines when he's drinking the potion don't quite make sense and I was wondering if they kind of made sense in him like reflecting on his interactions with Voldemort hmm. but I don't think they do so that was just me taking a stab in the dark yeah you know one thing that I picked up from this chapter and I think it's super important we keep finding the similarities between Harry Potter and Voldemort but I think there's a big difference which is Voldemort always wanted to be and felt like he was superior special and stood out where Harry only ever wanted to be normal to mix in with the crowd to not be seen in that way just to be a normal kid and so I think that those things because Harry never never really gravitates toward power where Voldemort does the exact opposite where they they take their trauma and their bad childhoods and their, you know, all those things. And they just, they go in different paths completely. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's interesting because the prophecy says that Voldemort will mark him as his equal. And what that means is not that they are just equal. It means that he raises Harry's stature and status to the level of Voldemort. And Voldemort by this point is infamous as the most terrible dark wizard of all time. So by attacking Harry, he makes Harry infamous too. And Harry doesn't want it. Unlike Tom, who wanted it all along, Harry doesn't. And his reaction is to try and be normal. It's sort of interesting that, you know, Tom, again, Voldemort creates his enemy, as dictators always do. His number one enemy is the product of his own actions by, like, making Harry famous. Harry becomes the man he is who doesn't want the fame, who wants to make a good life for everyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just love these Voldemort chapters. I mean, they're they're, they're hands hands down my favorite because it's like it's like when we were in Snape, like when we're talking through the psychology and like this is the book of Snape and Voldemort. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Getting... it's literally titled Harry Potter and Snape. <laughs> that's the title of this book. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, that's a good point actually. <laughs> and I am here for it. So we didn't cover Snape very much, but you know we're in that we're in that sort of mind yeah. space when we're when we're doing these episodes. <laughs> Anything else? 
Ah, that's it. That's it. I feel like that was uh, plenty. Yeah, I agree. That's fair. (laughs) Well, very cool. Well, this was a good one. Thank you guys for joining us. And we hope you will join us next time, The Glittering Bell Jar Season 2, and it will be Episode 19. So I hope you join us. If you enjoyed today's episode, please, please head over first to your podcast player of choice and turn on your notifications so that you subscribe. And anytime an episode pops up, which should be every day this month, it'll just pop right up. uh, You'll get a notification and you'll know about it. Uh, And then you're there. You might as well give us an awesome review, like rate us five stars, please. I hope that's what you give us. It's okay if you don't, but either way, give us a review, write it out, tell us what you think. Um, And then you are welcome to head over to our social media, Bell Jar Pod, um, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram. Got some fun stuff happening over there. Please share it, like it, tweet it. Uh, And of course, we would love it if you shared it with a friend. Share it with someone you know would have ended up prefect. Oh, yeah, you know that person. There are there are not as many prefects in the world as non-prefects, but the prefect in your life, you know that they would have been. And by the way, if you don't know what a prefect is, it's like a student administrator. Like they're like an RA in college. So the the, the RA, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, can I share it to you? Is that possible? Because you would have for sure been a prefect. I already know about it. So you got to find somebody else. <laughs> Alrighty, thank you everyone for joining us. Uh, as usual. We will be back very soon with another episode. See you next time. The Glittering Bell Jar is a Harry Potter podcast produced by the Calibro Group in partnership with Wild Goose Creatives. It is an unofficial fan project that is not authorized, approved, licensed, or endorsed by J.K. Rowling, her publishers, or Warner Brothers Entertainment Incorporated. Our theme music is Carnival of the Animals R125, Aquarium by Moments, licensed via Soundstripe. You can discover even more magic on followthebutterflies.com.